0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Coach Kramer, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. I'm excited to, to talk with you today.
0: Thank you, Coach. I understand that in 2015, you had a significant life event that changed everything. Explain what that was, please. In
1: 2015, uh, I'd been coaching under my father, who was the head coach at Lindenwood University which is a Division II school in St. Charles, Missouri. I'm a basketball coach. So I was his assistant coach there for three years. And around Easter time of 2015, my dad got offered a job at the University of Virginia, the assistant coach there. And you don't turn down an ACC job. So he took that job. And in turn, the dominoes fell in that I lost my job. The new head coach that was hired at Lindenwood decided not to retain me on staff. And that led me into a time of Great stress and anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, all these things that came with not having a job and Mm -hmm. and trying to find a job. But yeah, the summer of 2015 for me will go down in my books as one of the most difficult, challenging summers that I've ever had, Mm. but ended up being one of uh, the greatest experiences and most important experiences of my life.
0: Wow. Well, what was the experience that occurred that caused such incredible stress? And then please explain what happened as you started to move out of that.
1: For anybody, obviously, who's going through a trial or a difficulty or pain or suffering, I think it's obvious what comes with it. But for me specifically, losing a job, you know, I had just bought a house. I had a wife and a one-year-old son that it was my job to take care of, Mm -hmm. provide for. And when those material things fall away, In that, you know, okay, where's my next paycheck going to come from? How are we going to pay for our mortgage? Stuff like that. When those material things go away, it is hard as, as humans not to allow that stress and that worry not knowing what the future holds to, to kind of take over your thoughts and control every emotion that you have. So mm. for me, it was that fatherhood sense, that protector, wanting to take care of everything that really brought on this fear and worry that I just couldn't do that for my wife and my child.
0: So you had these overwhelming feelings, obviously, that I'm not going to be able to provide what is going to happen. Right. So what was going on in your mind and heart that moved you in a positive direction? What did you discover about yourself?
1: Well, it was a process for sure. Before all this happened at the start of 2015, it, it was a time that I remember really growing into great relationship with Jesus. And this was one of the first times in my life that I really started to feel like I had a personal relationship with Christ, that I was united to Him. And so often it happens this way, at least from people I've talked to or books I've read or whatever, but you always have that honeymoon period you know, in your spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. But then soon thereafter, a cross is going to come. And the beauty of that cross, I think, if we bear it the right way, is that it can unite you closer um, to Jesus. It can strengthen your faith. It can grow your trust. It can enhance your dependence on Jesus and that's what it did for me although it didn't happen right away by any means it, it probably took me 2 to 3 months into that summer to finally realize that boy I can't handle things on my own I you know I'm doing everything I possibly can to find a job I'm sending out hundreds of resumes I'm my dad's making calls for me I'm making calls and, and nothing is working out I just can't find a job coaching, doing what I love. And finally, when that realization comes where I am incapable of doing this on my own, I can't find a job. I finally got to a point where I I surrendered it to the Lord. I said, okay, if you want me to be a college basketball coach, I will be. If you don't want me to be, I won't be. And I got to a place where I just offered the future up to the Lord and said, it is in your hands now, Mm. because I finally realized that my self-preservation and my self-reliance and taking care of everything on my own just isn't
0: working. The sense of your self-preservation, all you're trying to do isn't working, that was all part and parcel of you pressing in to Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a journey where, you know, when I first started that summer, my total focus was on finding a job and nothing else was incorporated. And then as, you know, things get slow and I have less jobs to apply for, less people to talk to, mm-hmm. then I started turning more to the Lord. I started turning more to to scripture and to prayer and to journaling. And then as I do that, as you contemplate things, as you meditate, as you pray, the spiritual understanding of what is happening through that trial and through that difficulty, what Christ was trying to get me to understand finally came to light um, later on. There was a specific Bible verse that really captured that for me, that gave me this aha moment. um, What was it? And it's the story of the leper that we all know. We've all heard it hundreds of times where the leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will it, you can make me clean. And Christ says, I do will it be made clean. And for me, in that summer, when I read that Bible verse, it was the first time for me that I ever truly related to the leper. Sometimes when you read a Bible verse, you just read it outside of the story. But then other side, other times, the verses hit you and you can just infuse yourself in the story. Mm -hmm. And I infused myself as the leper in that The leper extinguished all the other opportunities that he had to find healing. I'm sure he went to doctors and people to help him and nothing worked. No other person could help him besides Christ. And that's the same way I sort of felt in that I just extinguished all my other chances of sending in resumes, making calls, whatever it may be, and nothing is working. Jesus, you are my only hope. And if you will that I can have a job, you will make it happen. And that realization that, man, I am a leper, and only Christ can heal me, only Christ can figure this out for me, that was a powerful moment in that summer.
0: What did that do for your desire to control everything once you had that revelation through that scripture? What happened?
1: oh man, you're hitting one of my vices right on the head because I am a control freak. I am a self-reliant guy. You know, I'm a, a confident dude that says, hey, I can take care of this. I'm going to get things done. But that moment in that summer kind of shifted all my thinking that I'm no longer self-reliant, but Christ-reliant. And getting that idea of full and utter dependency on Him, you got to get rid of your pride. You got to get rid of your ego. But when you do that, it frees you up in a way that you can't find anywhere else. Letting go of things and letting go of the grip and the control that you have on your life, thinking, this is right for me, or I know what should be happening, or this is my plan and it's going to happen. I I think it's an off-base way of living your life. Mm. And a lot of times for most of us, it takes trials. It takes suffering to open our eyes to the truth that you are not going to find peace until you fully surrender to the Lord, until you fully give up control of what you think is best and, and let Him handle things.
0: Wish it weren't that way. <laughs> right. right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wish we could just do it without the suffering and pain. Yeah, that'd be um,
0: nice. Good, good shortcut. Yeah, that would be shortcut. Good. But shortcuts don't right. seem to work that way with the Lord, do they?
1: Not often. <laughs>
0: not often. So, you've got this revelation that occurs in your heart and your mind. What was it that changed after you received that understanding? What did you stop doing mm. that you were doing?
1: It brings on just a sense of peace that you just can't get anywhere else, knowing that, hey, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And Christ has got this under control. Was it that way all the time? Of course not. We're we're humans and Being human brings on human emotions, but when you learn to surrender everything to the Lord, when you learn to be reliant on Him and dependent on Him, everything else kind of falls to the wayside because if you truly believe that God is real, that God loves you, and that God has a plan for you— Everything else is going to take care of itself. You can do your best in whatever capacity that you're called to do your best in and and know that the results are taken care of. And then whether they're good results in your eyes or bad results, again, somewhat irrelevant because all results are for the glory of God and for his perfect and holy plan.
0: I bet there are people listening right now that are saying, hey, Coach Kramer, that's great for you, but... Yeah. It's just irresponsible to just let go and let God. What do you say to people that mm. might be thinking that?
1: I think the idea of letting go and letting God can sometimes be skewed to meaning, okay, let's lay on the couch and do nothing. But that's not it at all. Um, letting go and letting God is letting God infuse His grace upon you, and then you respond to that grace. and. Our response to his grace is vitally important. Surrendering to the Lord doesn't just mean that you sit and do nothing. Loving Christ is not doing nothing. Love is action. Mm -hmm. Love is a a verb, you know? So, I think that can get misconstrued that if I surrender the Lord or I depend fully on Him, that I make no action. Mm -hmm. No, no, not at all. The action first is God's grace poured upon us, and then our action, secondly, is our response to that grace. And when you do it that way, and when you focus on it that way, then The peace comes from not worrying about the results. You can put your whole heart and your whole soul into what you believe God is calling you to do. And then no matter the outcome of that, you can be content with it knowing that God's plan is perfectly being played out.
0: So that sounds like the shift, capital T-H-E, in that... When you started taking action, when you felt directed to take action, instead of attaching yourself to the outcome and trying to own every part of that action, you did what you felt you were supposed to do. And you're like, okay, I've done what I believe I'm supposed to do. I'm going to live now in his grace and let him take care of the outcome
1: absolutely. It wasn't that I stopped making calls or sending out resumes or anything like that. Once I came to this realization by no means, but I was able to approach those interviews and those calls and those sending out resumes with a much greater sense of contentment and peace and calm because I knew that whatever was going to come from this was a part of his plan. Mm. You know, so I think for everybody that can be so significant because the pressure of succeeding in this life. And as a basketball coach, I see it to the extreme degree because I'm in the business of winning and losing. But for everybody, when you're chasing down something that you really want, whether it's an advancement in your profession, whether it's more money or you want your kids to do well, whatever it may be that you're pursuing, there can be a fear of failure. There can be a, what if this doesn't work out? What if I fall flat on my face? Sure. But when you get to a point that, you know, it's not about the end results, it's about giving my all for Christ, responding to His grace, and then allowing Him to take me where He wants me to go and trusting that what happens after is a part of His plan. That takes all the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry of the result away, Mm. and it just frees us up to live in a way that um, Christ intended us to.
0: So, you've basically thrown your arms open and looked up and said, I trust you sovereign ruler of the universe to take care of my life. And I'm going to keep taking the actions you tell me to take.
1: Absolutely. And I say a prayer often, Lord, I open my hands to you, whatever you want to give me, give me. Whatever my family needs, give it to us. Whatever you desire to take from me and take from my family, take it. And and that kind of opening of the hands and saying, give me what I need, what you know I need, and take from me what you know I don't need. That idea is is kind of what I grasped on to in that summer.
0: Mm -hmm. How has this affected your trust and your love of Jesus?
1: I mentioned at the beginning of this whole thing that this summer was the the hardest summer that I ever had to deal with, but it ended up being the most profound gift that I ever could have received, and it's specifically because of what you just said. There's no way I would be this in love with Jesus and this fully faithful and trusting in Him if I hadn't gone through that trial that I went through. And I think it's the exact same for everybody that when you're facing trials, these trials are just God's gentle nudges saying, hey, hand it over to me, come to me, let me handle things. Take away your grip on what you got going on and what you think is best and hand it to me. It's those gentle nudges. And if we can unite our sufferings to him, I think what comes at the end of those sufferings is that peace, is that love, that trust that you couldn't get any other way.
0: Anything else that you'd like to share that's come out of this trial that you tend to share with other people frequently?
1: I just came across this quote recently, but it perfectly sums up what I tell people when it has to do with suffering or when somebody asks me, Why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? And Fulton Sheen once said, Everyone who suffers is on a cross. Okay. So when you suffer, you're on a cross. And he said, Some look to be taken down like the thief on the left, and some look to be taken up like the thief on the right. And holy cow, I mean, how profound is that quote there, Mm. in that a lot of us, when we suffer, just fight with all our might to get away from the suffering. Suffering is not good. It can't be good. Uh, I have to get away from it. But then others who really understand the Christian teachings say, wait a second, this suffering could be a gift. And I, and I want to unite myself to this suffering and be taken mm. up to Christ from my suffering, from my cross. And that's what I want people to know is that our world teaches us that suffering is bad, that anything that's going on in your life that isn't the way you want it or is a struggle or is pain or is difficult to run away from it. Mm-hmm. But, but frankly, that just isn't Christian. That's not Christian teaching. And that's not what Christ told us. So if you can learn that, to take those struggles and sufferings and pains and and unite them to Christ and use them to lean into him use them to trust in him more to love him more to depend on him more it can change the way you approach life and whether it's a big suffering or a small suffering irrelevant you know mm-hmm. compared to the sufferings of other my suffering that summer in 2015 is is insignificant i mean of the people who are dealing with hunger or abuse or what the millions of different sufferings that are far worse than mine again it's just such a difficult thing for them to go through, but if they can unite those things to Christ, I think it can reap fruit. And then, reversely, even if it's a, a tiny suffering, you know, where your boss annoys you or your kids are getting on your nerves or something goes wrong on the road and you you get frustrated, those little pinpricks in life can also be small sufferings that teach you to to give it to the Lord and and trust in Him. Mm. So, suffering, such a gift, but unfortunately— Most of us don't see it that way.
0: What do you say to somebody to that point who's in the middle of suffering right now? The pain is almost unendurable. How do they stay there and accomplish what it is that God's wanting to accomplish in their lives?
1: Mm. Yeah, the thing that I so often go to, is um Jesus in the garden of gethsemane right before he was getting ready to be persecuted mm. and scourged and crucified he went to pray to his father and in his divine you know awareness he knew all that was about to happen. And he prayed fervently, right? He, he asked God to take this cup away from him. Mm-hmm. He was bleeding. He was sweating blood. He was so worried and anxious. And I think what that story can do for us is to comfort us in saying that Jesus Christ, the, the Lord incarnate, the God-man, he, in all of his humanness, felt the same anxiety, the same fear, the same worry that we often feel when we come across trials and struggles and difficulties. But in his divine glory, he had the ability to say, not my will, but yours be done. So the comforting can help us in that it's okay to feel human emotion, to be worried, to be anxious, but you don't have to give into the human emotion You can cling to the divine understanding that God's plan is perfect, even in your moments of struggle, and say to God, not my will, but yours be done.
0: What do you say to somebody who's just so exhausted from the fight, they feel like they can't take another step forward?
1: Oh, yeah. Suffering is hard, and I'll say... The same thing that I experienced is is just cling to the Lord, mm-hmm. um, turn to Him in prayer, turn to Scripture, turn to your family and friends for support. It is not easy by any means. When you speak of suffering, when you're not in the midst of it, it's easy to kind of lightheartedly walk through it. But when you're in the midst of it, all this easy going talk doesn't seem to make sense. But for those who are suffering, I, I would just say, my oh my, just just cling to Jesus and Give him all of your grief, all of your anguish, and, and allow him to lift that up. Mm-hmm. Allow him to take it upon himself and, and give you the grace to, to get through it and to understand why you're going through it.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going back to the shift that occurred. You're falling in love with Jesus. You're embracing mm-hmm. the suffering. You're letting go of control. What's the day-to-day as compared to what it used to be?
1: Oh, man. I I would say I I made a complete 180 of personality. I used to be a very emotional guy and that came from passion and competitiveness and, and all that stuff. But I think through that trial, I learned to let that stuff go a little bit and be a little more level with my emotions in that not letting every little thing bother you. And especially now with with all that's going on, there's so many things that that flip a switch and set you off. And I think it it, it teaches that surrendering to God teaches you to not allow the the small pinpricks in life to set you over the edge, Mm -hmm. but to take them on as little reminders that God is with you and that He's taking care of things, even in the midst of the annoyances and the struggles and the pains. So the main thing for me is I just approach each day differently in that I have this hopeful expectation of the amazing thing that God is going to do today, mm. and they—they they might be little, tiny, insignificant things that nobody notices. But I have my eye out. I'm aware of what's happening and what's going on, and whether it's just a simple sunrise or a warm breeze or a smile from a stranger, you can capture those as moments of uniting yourself to Christ, if you're aware of them. But so often we get caught up in the world around us that we we lose track and we're unable to see God in our midst.
0: How has this changed your coaching and your approach to coaching?
1: Oh, man. Again, I, I think it's made a complete 180 of it. And, and when I say complete 180, don't think that I don't have uh, reverts back to my old ways, and I lose track of things, and I get fired up, and I make poor decisions and stuff like that.
0: So you're still my, throwing I'm, chairs? I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> I'm not throwing chairs, but I might throw like a, a Dixie cup or something Ooh, every now and then. Look out. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? But yeah, it's it's changed the way. Again, it's changed the way I approach the game, not from a win-at-all-costs mindset, but as a do the best I can for the sake of Christ and allow him to handle the results. Mm. And when you do it that way, it just brings out a peace and contentment that you can't find anywhere else. You know, when I walk into each game, instead of saying, oh, we have to win this game. What if we don't win this game? We better, you know, all that stuff. I say, did I do the best job I can preparing for this game? Are my players well prepared to do the best they can? And if I can say yes to that answer, then I can let go. I can coach my players hard during the game, and then the results take care of themselves. Again, that's something that all people can use in their approach to life, whether it's coaching or you're in the business world or real estate or a parent or a spouse, whatever it may be, you can approach life that same way. Mm-hmm. That As long as I give my best for God's sake and God's glory, the results will take care of themselves.
0: How has this changed the approach you have to your athletes?
1: I think that kind of going back to that awareness and, and trying to see God in, in all that is around me, I think that has helped me the most with my players in trying to see Christ in my players, in their successes and in their failures, when they do something stupid or when they do something great, to see Christ in them and try to love them that way. And when you do it that way, when you're aware of Jesus in others you're less likely to lash out. You're less likely to rip them a new one and Mm -hmm. put them on the line and make them run sprints for an hour. Um, And you're more likely to understand the struggle that they went through or the mistake that they made. And then, of course, correct them, but do it in a charitable way that is going to motivate them to be better afterwards.
0: Has that approach yielded, in your opinion, better results, better outcomes?
1: As an assistant coach, you're not fully in charge of the program. You're doing the best job you can. Mm -hmm. But I think from a player's perspective, when they have a coach like that who is demanding, but they know he's demanding out of love, I think that's when you get the most out of your players Mm. and you get the most out of your kids or um, your employees or whatever it may be. It's really similar to the story of Jesus protecting the woman um, caught in adultery. And if you remember, the Pharisees were about to stone her for her sins and Jesus protected her and said, the person who has no sin, be the one to throw the first stone. They all left. And what Jesus said to the woman was, does anyone condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And so often people only recognize the compassion that Jesus showed in that scene, at which he did. He showed unbelievable mercy. But after he showed love, compassion, and mercy, then he challenged her. Then he motivated her to be better, to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so important whenever you're in a responsible role or you're a coach or a boss or, or a parent is that first people know that you love them, know that you care for them. Then you can challenge them. Then you can motivate them. Then you can inspire them to, to be the best they can be.
0: Great word. Yeah. So you've written a book
1: I have written a book, absolutely. Tell us a little
0: bit about the book. What's it called, and what's the primary focus?
1: I released it early March this past year. It's called Fill Your Cup for Christ, A Spiritual Journey Sown and Grown Through Sports. And actually, what we've been talking about um, really encapsulates a lot of of what I hit on the book. My main purpose of this book is, is to get people to understand that what matters most is getting the most out of the potential that God has given you. Mm. W- whatever God has given you, whatever talents um, and abilities he's given you, getting the most out of those abilities and doing it for the sake of his glory, for the sake of Christ. And that's what the image of Fill Your Cup for Christ is. And it derives from a story that my dad told me when I was a young kid and only later on in my life did I realize how how important it was for my spiritual life.
0: I love the format. You've divided it up into four quarters. Now, go ahead and tell us what those four quarters are.
1: Yeah, so the first quarter is called the motivation, and that's where I dive into falling in love with Jesus and explaining to the reader that all that you want to do spiritually, whether you know that it's good for you to follow the commandments or pray often or go to church or whatever it may be, all those things are good, but you won't have the motivation to do them unless you're fully in love with Christ. Mm. So it 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 starts there. All those things I mentioned are really good and they're going to help your faith grow. But if your motivation isn't centered on love of Jesus, you're not going to want to do those. Something is going to come across your path that's going to make you say, no, I'm not going to pray today or I'm not going to go to church. So the motivation is key to start. Then the second uh, section is the trial. And that's where I go um, into detail about um, my own trial that we've talked about today. I have a lot of journal entries um, in there and we just talk about suffering and how to deal with suffering and what suffering means and so on and so forth. The third,
0: Quarter. That's super vulnerable oh, if you've got your journal entries in there, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I had to kind of step outside myself. I, a few journal entries said, you know, I, I feel like I can't get out of bed today. It, it was kind of that expression of my grief and my struggle, I think, was maybe something that could connect with the reader. Yeah. And so the the kind of vulnerability of my journal entries really comes forth in that section. Then the third section is more theology- Um, base section where I talk more about church teaching and what the Bible says and so on and so forth. And then the fourth quarter is called The Challenge. And that's where I really dive into motivating the reader to become the best they can be, to pursue holiness. And that's where the coach in me really comes out, where you know I kind of get a little bit in your face and, and push it to greatness. It was quite a journey.
0: What's one point you could share with us that you talk about in The Challenge? Give us one in-your-face point.
1: Okay. So, one of my favorite things that I wrote is, when you die, two things happen. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And what you do and don't do on this earth matters. And what what I wanted to do with that was inspire the reader to respond to the grace that God is giving us. Mm. And God is always giving us enough grace And we just have to respond to that grace, respond to that love, and then do our best to glorify Him. It's just such a beautiful image of God's grace, God's glory, His sacrifice on the cross, what He has done to forgive our sins, but the reality of things that heaven is a real place, but so is hell. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that image to not make the reader fearful, but make the reader come to reality to say, I need to respond to God's grace. I need to respond to his love. And then through my response of his love, give that love to others. And that's what I I hope happens is that the reader doesn't sleepwalk through life. Mm. And, And that's what I did before all this happened. I was a sleepwalking Christian. I believed in Jesus. If somebody asked me if Jesus was real, and that he died on the cross, I would say, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But my life didn't portray that belief. And, and that's what I think so often most of us struggle with is that we get caught up in, in what's going on in the world and, and we lose track of why we're really here. And that's what I want that fourth quarter to do is say, no, no, Christ has you for a reason. He has you here for a reason. He's given you talents and abilities for a reason, and he wants you to use those. Mm. He wants you to use those talents and abilities for his sake, for his glory, for his kingdom. When you can cling to that and when you can wake up every day and say, man, today is for Jesus— And for his kingdom and his for his glory, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find one of his lost children that he's looking to bring home. Man, it it just sparks a fire in you that that makes waking up that much more fun.
0: That's fantastic. Well, as we wrap up here, Kramer, could you please pray for our listeners?
1: Absolutely. (sighs) Jesus, as we come to you with all of our griefs and our struggles, our trials and our pains. We ask that you shower us with your grace, with your love, that we may feel your presence in no matter what we're going through, that we may learn that suffering, although difficult and painful at times, is your gentle nudging for us to come back to you, for us to let go of our grip on what we believe is right and what we believe should happen and that we can give it to you and trust that your plan is perfect. Lord, thank you for the gift of your suffering, for dying on the cross, forgiving our sins, for giving us an opportunity at a relationship with you, and for creating a place for us in heaven where we may live for all eternity in your presence and in your love. And in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What's the best way for people to find out more about you and pick up your book?
1: You can find the title for my book on Amazon. Just type in Fill Your Cup for Christ with my name, Kramer Soderbergh. Or you can go to my website, um, which is www.kramersoderbergh.com. And you can find the book there, and you can also find media stuff about me and information. I, I love hearing from people who are struggling and having difficulties. I love people who uh, reach out to me after reading my book. So I would love to hear from anyone listening who needs help, who needs guidance, who just wants to talk about Jesus. Um, I'm an open book, and I would love to
0: to hear from some people. That's great. And that's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-O-D-E-R-B-E-R-G.com. Correct. Thanks so much for being here, Coach Kramer.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. It was a great joy to be with you.